When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. They've designed must-have travel styles for when you need to jet. The lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit makes these shoes some of the most packable styles ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Take the Super Light Tree Runner on your next adventure. Its cushy, lightweight foam midsole supports every step, and the extra outsole traction gives you the grip to just go for it. The Eucalyptus Fiber Upper adds next-level breathability to keep you going all day. Plus, the Super Light Tree Runner is comfortable and ready to go right out of the box. So, what can you do in a Super Light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. And looking for your comments on a host of different topics for, that we will be covering on the programme today. The first of which we're already getting some commentary in on and I know it's been covered on our news with Pierce this morning and this is the story that the government is going to scrap the current TV licence. This, this isn't really new. We've been talking and this has been bandied about and mentioned for quite some time but it looks like they're finally going to make the push. They're going to get rid of the TV licence and they're going to replace it with a, a charge and the new charge is virtually going to hit every household in the country. It is not a household charge. The government are adamant that it's not a household charge because I think whenever the word, the, the mention of a household charge comes up, people say, don't we already pay a property tax? Why are we paying a household charge as well? It is going to, I don't know what the new name is going to be, but it's going to be obviously some kind of a broadcasting charge they're going to uh, call it. But the difference between the new broadcasting charge for for whatever they're going to call it and the TV licence is that it is going to every household is going to end up paying it because at the moment the TV licence is only if you have a TV in the house but this is going to be every house that has a device independent device independent broadcasting charge is one of the way, is how it's been phrased so anyone with a device that can download or stream any kind of a TV uh, programme. So it'll mean anyone that's got a laptop in the house, a computer, a tablet, uh, a smartphone, and you kind of think, in what house doesn't? So basically every household will have to pay it. The, at the moment, the people that don't pay TV licence in the main are thousands of third level students. They may not have a TV in their accommodation, but they will instead watch TV on their smartphone or on their tablet. Also young couples who have traditionally shunned uh, TVs in apartments and flats and they stream instead Netflix and now TV and they do that on their computers and on their phones. So they technically haven't been avoiding paying 
they certainly couldn't be brought to court for not paying their TV licence. They don't have a TV. So when this new charge comes in, it will mean everyone is going to have to pay. And they're saying that the new broadcasting bill, it, they plan to crack down on about 12% of households who currently evade the €160 Euro annual licence fee. The government, by the way, is also issuing a new ch- tender for the detection and collection of the current licence fee from such evaders. And they're saying once that five-year contract tender is up then they'll switch to the new household charge so it's going to be five years uh, before it comes in but the very fact that the government are saying that they're putting out a contract to collect the TV licence that's going out to tender that's going to put the fear of God into on post because at the moment it's on post that collects it and on post will say they need every single transaction that they can get their hands on so if they lose that contract that could be a big big loss uh, to post offices but as I say it's going to be about five years before it comes in but it will mean oh and the other one is it's unsure at this stage as to how much it's going to be are they going to keep it at 160 euro a year are they going to put it up are my theory on it could they not reduce it if they get everybody to pay if they reckon 12% even though I've heard figures of of as high as 25% of households don't pay it but anyway the figure that they're running with today in all of the papers seems to be 12% but say it's 12% if everybody pays up should that not mean that it gets reduced if they want to bring in the same amount of money could it not be reduced now I haven't anywhere seen any suggestion that they're going to do that that's just me throwing in uh, my tuppence halfpenny worth and of course it's all under review at the moment the way the licence is collected who's going to collect it and how much are they actually going to raise so it may also require RTE who receive 189 million euro from the licence fee proceeds last year alone it may force them to spend more on commissioned content from other television companies and kind of spreading the love and spreading the money out uh, a little bit. Because already John and Clonakilty, whenever we talk about the licence fee, we do have people say, what are we paying it for? I, I watch very little on RTE. I mean, we pay for the public service broadcasting element of it. And I mean, you know, regardless of how you feel about RTE, they're really good at, you know, they do, you know, really good news programmes. Uh, they do really good, as we saw with the RTE investigates last week. I mean, they do some fantastic programmes. But I think what bugs people, the amount of repeats and the summer months, it's it's as if everybody just goes away on holidays and they decide we'll just run repeats. Every time I switch over, I'm looking at a programme and say, have I not seen this before? Oh, I saw that before. And actually, John and Clannick Hilty uh, says, Patricia, on the TV licence, yes, I always pay my TV licence, always have, always do. But uh, but on RTE, and this is on the issue of repeats, RTE have Dahi O'Shea and Moore Duran, who are fine, fine presenters, and they have them on in the winter months. And that's that live show every afternoon. That comes out of Cork. That's a great, great show in the afternoons. But, says John, to my amazement, I switched on the TV the other day in the afternoon, and lo and behold, they're at it again. There was Dahi Amora. Thought they were off for the summer, John thought. I listened for about five minutes. Then I heard Dahi say, Happy Christmas. It was a repeat. I checked and it's going to be repeated uh, all week. Yeah. Uh, and I got John Paul to check and he says it's the best of. And of course, when you do the best of, you are going to end up with something to do with Christmas or a Christmas setting. And it will be on in the middle of July. And it does seem a bit. Yeah. So there's another one that repeats 
you know, and I suppose that is a way of saving money, isn't it? Is to repeat the programmes. That anyway has annoyed John. A couple of listeners are on saying, will the old age pensioners lose their free TV licence? And I can tell you, no. Pensioners with existing exemptions will not be affected by the new rule in any way. So even if it goes to a new broadcasting charge, old age pensioners will have an exemption and won't have to pay the new broadcasting charge. So you don't have to worry uh, about that. Um, Marie says, hi Patricia, I hope this message finds you well. It does, thank you very much. I pay my TV licence. I think that this, this, this new charge is not a good idea. A lot of it is going to fund RTE and their over-the-top wages that they give to the staff and presenters. Uh, keep up the good work to you and uh, John Paul. Uh, thank you uh, for that. That's always been an argument though with uh, RTE as well and the wages they pay. But they will say in order to re- retain their excellent staff, they have to pay those kind of wages and that's kind of reflected across the board and you know you look to the BBC and how much uh, they pay um, and ITV and all of the other TV companies they just they, they pay big wages so if RT want to retain their staff I suppose they don't they will say they don't have any choice John Paul taking your course 1850 your thoughts welcomed on this will you be happy with the idea of a new broadcasting charge in that it will be fairer if you are in the uh, over 80% of people who currently pay your, your TV licence do you feel uh, a bit annoyed that you're pay- paying it and maybe your next door neighbour isn't paying it yet your next door neighbour is watching as much TV as you are is the fairest way to have this broadcasting charge or a household charge whatever name you want to put on it so that every single household will pay it is that the fairest way uh, to go and are you getting good value at your €160 a year also we will be discussing alcohol and the price of alcohol in this country latest study shows that it now costs less than €10 to reach your weekly safe alcohol uh, limit and that's for both men and women actually for women I couldn't believe when I read this. To, to in order to reach you know this safe limit, I don't, is, it, is it eleven units of alcohol a week for for us females? We shouldn't be drinking any more of that. I think it's seventeen uh, for men. We could reach as us women could reach the eleven units of alcohol, and we could do it for less than a fiver if you go out and source cheap drink. And there's cheap enough drink out there to get your eleven units of alcohol for less than a fiver. That is just incredible. The argument now is, is it time to end cheap drink and bring in minimum unit pricing? Which again is something the government have been talking about for quite some time. But the argument always, when we talk about minimum unit pricing, I think to stop binge drinking. I think to stop young people drinking. We know cost is a huge factor when it comes to young people going out to buy drink. You, see, you, you would think, yes, absolutely, bring in minimum unit pricing so make it more expensive so that young people, they'll have a limited amount of money, they won't be able to buy as much alcohol. I think people will, will, would welcome that. But then you look at decent, hard-working, ordinary people who on a Friday night or a Saturday night might like to go to the off-licence or maybe when you're doing your shopping, you might like to throw in a bottle of wine, a couple of bottles of beer, nothing much, nothing too excessive. Sit down on a Friday night and maybe open the bottle of wine over a nice meal, kids in bed and, you know, you have whatever, what is it, about five glasses, depending on the size of the glass, five, six glasses of wine in a bottle. So, you know, you have your, you share it with your partner or whatever. Nobody's getting drunk, but it's nice and relaxing and it's kind of like your night out. If we bring in unit minimum unit pricing your bottle of wine or your bottle of beer will all go up in price and people say how fair 
uh, is that. So it's to try to get the balance right. The other real worry I would have about minimum unit pricing. Remember back in the day, we used to have the booze cruises where people used to go over to France in particular. I remember people going over on the ferry and they literally would stock the car up with cheap wine because the wine was so much cheaper than it was in this country. You think of all the times you went to Spain or the Canary Islands was a great place when duty free was in existence and you stocked up and you brought home loads of drink. And of course, with Brexit looming, we're going to have a situation where in Northern Ireland, they won't have minimum unit pricing and we'll have it down south. So will people be going over the border to buy a cheap drink? So there's always that worry and that concern there as well that the, the exchequer ultimately loses loses out money if people go elsewhere, go out of the jurisdiction to buy whatever the product is. In this case, it is alcohol. Your thoughts welcomed on that. Also want to hear from you on the compulsory nature of Irish language to Leaving Cert. Has the time come to end mandatory Irish as a subject to Leaving Cert? There's a review going on at the moment of the Leaving Cert And one of the things that's been spoken about is that it should be up to individual students whether they wanted to do Irish or not. Put it in the same bracket as history and geography and the science subjects. If you're good at the subject, you might decide to sit it. If you're not good at the subject, you might see it as a waste of time. You might say, I'm better off putting all my time and effort and all my study into a subject that I am good at. And you think about young people in the points race and they know exactly what they need to get in every subject. If they're better at a different subject, are they better spending the time studying that than studying a subject that they know in their heart and soul they're not going to do well in and that certainly whatever they get is not going to go towards their points for uh, university. Now we're going to be hearing from Conrad de Guelga on the programme who obviously are going to be arguing and articulating on the side of yes, we need to keep Irish as a compulsory subject. Your thoughts, uh, welcome. I'd love to hear from anyone who perhaps has students still in school or maybe somebody who's just completed uh, the Leaving Cert. Did you welcome the fact that you had to do Irish and the fact that it was, it was uh, if it wasn't compulsory, maybe you would have given, given it up and do you like the idea that you have had a subject that you started on your first day at school and encourage you right through to your last day in school. So the compulsory nature of Irish to leaving cert. Uh, we'd like to hear from you on that, uh, please. The IFA are going to join us on the programme. It's a gentleman by the name of Angus Woods. He is the chair of the IFA Livestock Committee. And all week we have been speaking with the Beef Movement Plan who have been protesting and they're continuing to protest today outside the meat factory in Bandon. And over the last couple of days, we were getting calls and texts in from people saying, where are the IFA on all of this? Why are the IFA not out there standing with those farmers? And we know that in many cases, a lot of those farmers would be members of the IFA. So we decided we'd contact the IFA to say, would you come on and talk to us about what's happening at the various meat plants around the country? Like while we're focused on the one in Bandon, I think there's about five other meat plants that there's protests going on outside as well. And this is this is quite a meaningful protest in that it's like they're there 24 hours a day. They're not, you know, there are people staying outside that meat plant, sleeping or, or trying to get a few hours sleep if they can or 
but there's people there all of the time. That's a huge, huge commitment on behalf of the beef uh, farmers from the Bandon and the surrounding areas. I don't know there's probably people coming from outside the area as well. So we're going to be talking about that on the programme today. And it is Friday, so we'll go to the movies with uh, Mark after half past uh, 12. That in your calls and comments. Welcome to throughout the morning. Some of your thoughts coming in on the TV licence and this new broadcasting charge as it is. Well, we don't know quite what it's to be called. Ben says, not a chance am I paying to use a TV if I don't have one. See, at the moment, if you don't have a TV, you're, you don't have to pay, but you will with this new charge, Ben. Mark says, sure, if RTE stop paying the overpriced presenters and stop making repeats or, or getting us to watch copies of UK sh- sh- shows, that would reduce the pricing. They wouldn't have to charge so much for the TV licence. Margaret and McCroom. What bugs Margaret is reading in the years. It's the same ones they always show. Once the news goes to half an hour in the summertime, you can be guaranteed the theme tune for reading in the years will be on. I have to say, I enjoy reading in the years, but you are right. It does. It has a tendency to be the same one that they did. If, if you were a regular watcher of it, you can only guess what's coming up next. I think they tweak it slightly, but I happen to like it. I'm I'm a fan of the programme, I have to say, but it is a bugbear if you sat there and know that you've seen it uh, before. Uh, Breather says, what about those on disabilities and those on invalidity pensions? Will we lose our TV licence with a broadcast charge? Uh, how will that work? Well, we've been told that the old age pensioners, and I'm assuming pensioners with existing exemptions, will not be affected by the new rule. So if you're, if you're entitled to a free TV licence, it doesn't look like that's going to change in any way. Hi, uh, let me look at some of your texts coming in. Patricia, I've not had, had a TV in over two years. I do not own a smartphone. I do not have access to the internet. Should I have to pay to listen to the radio, says Pat and Mallow. Well, no, at the moment, absolutely not. And I can't find anything in uh, anything that I've read so far. Remember, it is something that's coming in. It's going to be at least five years before it gets introduced. I can't find anything that suggests if you only have radio, will you have to pay? But Mike and Bantry is making the point, um, saying, Trish, that when you pay for your TV, it, it includes radio as well. You see, it's very antiquated and very dated when the broadca- when the TV licence first came in. It did, it also, yes, you're right, at the time, it would have only have been RTE 1 and the radio was all that would have been there. And of course, that's obviously what it went to fund. The funding now overwhelmingly goes to RTE and TG Car, And obviously RTE will be splitting the money between TV and radio. There is a small percentage of the money goes to a competitive sound and vision scheme, which is open to the independent sector, like our good selves here, here as well. But very little of it goes to radio and goes to the independent sector. But there is there is some money there uh, for it. But you primarily are paying for TV and it is a TV licence goes to Broadcasting One. Is that going to affect Pat and Mallow when he has a radio? My gut instinct would say no, but only time will tell. We're going to have to uh, wait and uh, see. Hi Patricia, says Mary, with regards to the broadcasting charge and that it will go out to tender. And this is uh, what the the contract to collect the TV licence is going to be tendered out in a bid to crack down on people not paying it. That's the reason that's been used and the worry is that it would be it would be taken away from on post. Mary raises a really good po- point. Mary says, I save my TV licence by buying a saving stamp every week when I go to the post office. My fear is if it went to, we will say, revenue. They're not going to entertain the idea of saving stamps, says Mary, which is a really good Point. And there are so many people who do that, who go to my late mother, God be good to her, went and picked up her widow's pension every week from the 
post office and every week she bought at the time it was bound a one pound stamp that was put into the TV licence saving booklet and at the time if I remember rightly the TV licence was about £60 so she would have 52 weeks genuinely saved and then in the summer months she'd buy an extra maybe I don't know whether she did it in the month of June and July or July and August she'd buy two stamps so she'd get it up so when the, it came in it was always in September we paid our TV licence she had this £60 and you know for somebody on a widow's pension it was and who always of the generation that never owed money to anyone always pay, paid her bills it was an easy way it was a bill she paid that she never felt she had to pay because she was paying it weekly and a lot of people like Mary are still doing that today so that's a really good point now I'm assuming in the tendering system when they go out to tender it's one of the arguments that Unpost will put forward as to why it should be kept I don't know the percentage of people that pay their TV licence on stamps it would be interesting for Unpost to try to come out with those figures but it's it's a good and it's a valid point thank you for raising it Mary 1850 John Paul taking your course. Text WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Laura Gelga, RC 103. Rugg Jacob Stockdale, Erin Shrew Law Dabron, Nadig Nokashe, in Ardvaka. Hussig Shaig Imert Rugger, Agase Anna O. Drastel Shea Er Ardskull de Valish, Agas Burnock Gradam Imrahornablina Er, Nina Guna. Dimershe Mur Klehani Er Erin Nahir in Fuifeha. Agus Hussig Shaig Immert Lakuga Ulla Agus A Fos Navelina Deg Beach. Tugug on Lassanum Stocky Jockey Air, Tisk A Vek Hohard Agus Kolordershin. Barnik A Er Fanil Naharin, Der Hrossara Govil Sashakti, Agus Anam Nik A Mar Lake Nahimraha in Aigon Argentine. Toshakt Ud Aimshaha A Jacob Stockdale, A Gravena Shay Nashun Govilas Uktig. Gashka and Nakhvil Dainteg, Ain Imr or Ella, Isterna Grava. Is Imr Untuk E Agus Inspira de Guina Oga E. Le Blur Guelga is Misha Malinigul o Guelskol Hamasta Vishmal. CKD as a three Kirkig. Alcohol Action Ireland has revealed that alcohol is now so cheap in this country that it costs less than a tenner to reach your weekly low risk guideline limit and that's for both men and women actually for women it's less than five euro Ewan McKinney is Head of Communications at Alcohol Action Ireland and uh, he joins me Good morning to you Ewan Good morning Patricia. Uh, and Thanks you, for me Well you're very welcome There is a perception that alcohol is expensive in this country but if you want to get drunk cheaply mm. your survey is proving it can be done can't it? Well, I, I, I'd go a step further just to say that, I mean, I think that it is fair to say that alcohol is expensive in Ireland, but I think that's in the context of buying it in the on-trade. So if you're buying your alcohol in a in a bar, in a pub, or in a restaurant, you're going to pay quite a significant price for it, and that reflects a whole series of other layers of costs involved, like staff and whatever. But increasingly, as a population, we're buying 65, 70% of the alcohol that's consumed in Ireland has been bought in the off-trade. It's been bought in corner stores, in convenience stores, in supermarkets, petrol stations, everywhere where it is available now. And in that context, that type of alcohol and that, that level of alcohol is exceptionally affordable. And is it as high as that 65 to 70% of alcohol purchased is now off-trade? Yes. Wow. Yeah. 
I mean, it's it's it just stands to reason because as the survey demonstrates, just how affordable alcohol is in our convenience stores. It is exceptionally cheap. Um, and in the context of operating as we, we would urge people to do, you know, if you're going to drink, we want to see people drinking safely and with well-being, their well-being protected. You want to see people consuming alcohol within a low-risk guideline approach. And in that context... You know, your your standard drinks limits are 17 for men and 11 for women on a weekly basis. And to do that, you'd have to spend as little as 7.48 for a man and as little as 4.84 for a woman to reach those. And you priced in both urban and rural areas. We're not just saying that this is just in the heart of Dublin City. No, and no, it's, city. It's, it's, it's reflective of, of Dublin City Centre. It's reflective of Dublin County, North County. It's reflective of pricing in Longford and pricing in Sligo. So it was conducted in two regional centres, uh, one urban centre and one city centre. So and what, what, you looked at what, things like beer and cider and wine and spirits? Yeah, essentially what we did was we went into each, we, we did it across seven different, which are listed on, on our website, we went into seven different essentially retail units and we costed all the products that were available on the market and having costed all the market all the market we determined what the standard what the cost of the standard drink in each of those products were and then we determined what was the lowest cost available and in that context we we determined that cider is available at essentially 44 cent for a standard drink beer is available for 46 cent uh, per standard drink, wine, 56, and then moving to the spirits, you know, you get to vodka at 62 cent a standard drink, and gin at 67, and and whiskey at around 68. Yeah, I just, I think this. So no matter which level of, which level of alcohol you're, whatever whatever your choice of alcohol is, you know, it, it is, it is exceptionally affordable. So like, in the context if one was to just simply seek to drink whiskey on a, on a, on a daily, on a, on a, as your, as your, as your choice, you know, you could do that for in or around 11 euros as a man and, and, and significantly less for a woman, you know. And your, your survey there for you and further evidence of the need to introduce minimum unit pricing on alcohol products. Yeah, and I accept that like, uh, some people have, have some contention about the introduction of minimum unit pricing because they see it perhaps as, 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 you know, necessarily, why would you want to stop people, affording people a bargain? But in the context of, we have to remember that alcohol is a deeply harmful product in the market. It's causing significant difficulties throughout our society. We have 1.4 million people who have a harmful relationship with alcohol. So what minimum unit pricing would do is it would ensure that the retailers wouldn't be able to sell a product beneath a certain price. Uh, so it puts a it puts a kind of a floor in relation to how the price the product will be would be uh, sold. So where you have a a can of cider or a can of beer at a 500 milliliters that's available in the market for 70, 80 cents uh, a can, that can would, wouldn't be able to be sold for less than 158 uh, or 1, 1, 160. So it would make a significant difference. 
in relation to two particular cohorts, and, and that's, that's the target of minimum pricing, is a young cohort who are our heaviest binge drinkers and leading the Europe scale in relation to binge drinking. So and, they, be- and young people are heavily influenced by price, we know that. Heavily influenced yeah. by price. They're highly but, sensitive to But we've price. been talking about minimum unit pricing for quite some time, and I mean, the Public Health Act came, was in uh, 2018. Mm. Why, why the delay? Well, that's a reasonably good question. Um, I mean, I think that the alcohol industry certainly have deep reservations about the introduction for obvious reasons, because it will bring about a reduction in in, in sales. Um, but they, I think they have deep reservations about the introduction of minimum unit pricing and have urged government to be cautious in relation to current circumstances around Brexit and North-South relations and East-West relations in the context of what's happening in that. But we would argue that the context has to be seen as a, for what it is. It's a public health measure, like minimum unit pricing as, a, as a, an instrument has been introduced by the Department of Health. It's there for a health reason, not there in the context of economic uh, interest. So we have to be have to hold the perspective that this is a public health measure. And if we believe that we should be curbing the sales of alcohol to improve public health, then we should be proceeding with minimum unit pricing. Okay, some comments in from listeners. James in West Cork, minimum unit pricing will just encourage people to stock up on cheap drink when out of the country. Remember the wine runs to France, uh, suitcases laden down coming back from Spain. Minimum pricing will really affect people who like to have a beer or two at home at the weekend. Generally it won't in that context, you know, because most people who enjoy an occasional beer at the weekend tend to buy premium products. They tend to buy products that are well known, the well established brands. We are, so they won't go them. up in price? They won't go up in price yeah. because they are at a higher price in the first instance. Okay, Jenny and Cove says people will binge drink regardless of the price. Why should we all suffer because some people can't drink responsibly? And some Someone else says by text, Patricia, if alcoholic drinks are increased, drugs may become the preferred recreational option of our youngsters. Would this not be disastrous? There's an interesting paradox in the context of one of your correspondents there who says, why should we suffer? The idea that we would make a product that's harmful a little bit more expensive so that you would perhaps drink a little less of it, that that's a suffering is a very interesting comment. Uh, you know, it's, it's 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 reflective of the relationship we have with alcohol. I don't think in any ways the idea that we would have less alcohol is a suffering. It is a good thing. It's not a bad thing. Uh, yeah, I know. And Deborah says, uh, Patricia, our whole attitude towards drink in this country has to change. It's sad to think that every occasion has to revolve around alcohol. And yes, says Deborah, I do enjoy a drink from time to time. OK, yeah. uh, we leave it there. Ewan, thank, thank you for that. And thanks okay. for joining us. That is Ewan McKinney, who is Head of Marketing at Alcohol Action Ireland for the need on bringing in minimum unit pricing for alcohol. <laughs> Thousands of you tune in to C103 every day. Now you can win thousands of euros. Thousands of euros. The latest radio audience ratings show 244,000 people listen to Cork's 96FM and C103 every week. Source JNLR Ipsos MRBI 2019 2. So to celebrate, Simon's Celebrity Seas will now play across the entire day. Guess the celebs to grab the cash. Our way of saying thanks for listening. 
Tune in to win from Tuesday morning at 6am on C103. A recent review of senior education published this week by the National Council for Curriculum and Assessment found mixed views on the retention of Irish as a compulsory subject for the Leaving Certificate. Conrad Nguelga has urged the introduction of a policy promoting the subject. And joining me there, General Secretary uh, Julian Despain. Good morning to you, Julian. Good morning. Uh, and you, you're welcome Welcome to the programme. Have you any understanding as to why some students appear to get very frustrated with Irish as a subject? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not really all that surprising to us in the way that we don't think that the way Irish is taught is uh, fit for purpose at the moment. Um, and I wouldn't blame the teachers for that. I think the system hasn't been what it should be. And I don't think the Department of Education are doing enough to address that. Did you know, Patricia, since the foundation of the state, they've never actually had a policy or, or method of teaching Irish from preschool to university the whole way along as it joins the dots that from A to B, you know exactly where you are and where you're going to. And that's something at a very, very basic level we're saying that, you know, if the Department of Education needs to change the way Irish is taught and do it in a cohesive way, and that would change attitudes and that would make sure that people, by the time they get to leave the church, that they wouldn't be so frustrated. Yeah, and, and how, what do you believe needs to be changed with the current system of, of teaching Irish? Well, there's one thing that we're saying that if you were to do that from preschool to university, one thing you could do is you could base the whole learning of Irish on the European Common Framework of Learning Language. Basically what that is, it zones in on the skills of the students. So that, for example, very much you'd zone in on the oral skills at the start, Mm. making sure people can uh, speak, understand, you know, and listen to the language with no problem. Um, and if you were to do that, actually, it would ch- it would solve some of the other problems you have as well in this system where, for example, the exemptions comes up every now and again, the question of exemptions. And, for example, a student coming in late into the system, uh, well, that student should be able to start at the A1, which is the first level on the framework, um, and that the leave insert points would be based on them con- uh, completing A1 um, being the, the you know the first point on the, on and on, on they shouldn't have to be excluded from learning of Irish, uh, which we we get them and and a good few parents that would be in touch and say well we didn't want to be exempted but we were exempted in the school you know and that that would solve those problems so it's really about trying to have a less rigid system and that is something that came up in the NCCA report that the leaving search is very rigid and having a system that like that caters for the students and also focuses on the skills so that people are learning the language how to speak the language, listen to the language. And then coming from that, obviously, would be writing the language. And, you know, um, we, we've always said that for native speakers or schools that excel in the teaching of Irish, why wouldn't there be um, a course that reflects this? Like, you know, you could have a sec- separate subject, either as a choice subject for the people who are coming from, you know, Gweltacht areas, um, or you could have, um, you know, a, another level, in, as in we already have ordinary and higher, you could have the sore level or the level for, for those native speakers. Uh, had the popularity of the Gwail Scullin as Julie, Julian, I mean, surely that's very much helped to develop a love of the language. Yeah, definitely. And, and the experience of um, how best to learn a language, to be immersed in the language, and we see that from the Gwail Scullin, and we also see it in the Irish summer colleges, um, that are going on all around us at the moment. I mean, you know, a student can go away for those two, three weeks and come back and be able to speak, you know, fluent Irish. So and many people what, have such wonderful memories of their trips yeah. to the Great Talks. It, it, it's amazing. And it's amazing that we haven't learned from that experience as well. Um, although that said, I have to uh, commend 
uh, Minister Joe McHugh for uh, taking on board uh, something we've been saying for the last uh, over 10 years now, that there should be um, other subjects taught through Irish in primary schools so the kids enjoy the language and use the language in a cumulative way. For example, in the English medium schools that you would have PE done through Irish. And yeah. in fairness to the group Gael Tacker there in Cork. Um, yeah, we've, or, spoke, we've had them on the programme. Yeah, yeah, they've been pushing for us. And, it's, you know, it's brilliant. They were able to show, they did a voluntary basis and they were able to show that it worked. Now the Department of Education is trialling um, an official trial of it in September of 20 schools that are going to do it. That's so, great. You know, it's amazing that Grail Tackett just took the bat and said, well, we're going to go yeah, ahead and, and do it anyway. And, and, and we're getting a lot of reaction on this. I, I love this text in from a listener who says, can't come on air because I'm at work, unfortunately, but I think Irish should be compulsory in schools. I would have given it up after my junior cert if I'd had a chance because I hated the subject. I ended up getting a much better teacher and falling in love with it during my leaving cert years. I graduated with an honours degree in Irish last year. I wouldn't have that degree, friends, opportunities and life if I had, if if Irish hadn't been compulsory. It's our national language and I'm proud to be able to speak it. Um, that's That's a great text. But that proves it was the teacher and obviously the way the teacher taught the subject at leaving cert. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and as I say, that's why we need to maybe change and we have to focus more and learn from our European neighbours. I mean, geez, as, as, as Brexit's coming down the track, you know, I mean, we're going to get very more European. And one thing they're they're exceptionally good at in Europe is teaching other languages. languages. And, Absolutely. And why wouldn't we learn from them? So the European Common Framework, as I say, could be one of the ways we could do that, um, change the way. And one thing that is very interesting from the text there that came into your show, um, is the idea that, you know, when students are in those years, you know, around second, third year where they're choosing for the leaving search as well, I mean, if you were to make it a choice subject, um, languages are hard. There's no two ways about it. Language learning is difficult. And if a student's looking towards the point race and, you know, um, they may choose the easier subject or the, the subject with less to do in that subject, you know, and that, that, that can mean that, you know, that not that they don't want to do Irish, but that they choose it because of the points race. There could be other reasons as well. For example, if it was a choice subject in a school up against um, a science subject, for yeah. example, yeah. and you wanted to be a t- doctor, you'd have no choice. That's what somebody is saying. How how can they make it, man? How can you, what subject could you put it up against? Yeah, people are yeah. saying saying that. Betty and Fomoy says it's the way it's taught. It's wrong. There should be more emphasis on the spoken word and less on poetry and literature and Breed listening to us in London says please keep it as a mandatory subject I never spoke Irish at home but as an immigrant I use the language among other Irish friends it's great crack as nobody knows what we're talking about (laughs) (laughs) but that's a really good point as well because one thing I believe and I see it more and more and talking to people more and more especially young, young people is as the world's become a smaller place, you know, with the internet, with travel, it's become a very, very small place, you could say. And one of the things that I suppose is helping Irish people identify themselves abroad um, or in this smaller world is the language. Mm. And be that that they use Irish abroad more and more when they're on holidays or when they're living abroad, or be it that, you know, things like Facebook and uh, Twitter and all these different things can be done in Irish now as well. So young people are really enjoying using the language. They don't have the hang-ups that were there in the past. Uh, but they would, and coming from what we see with the NCCA, is that they would like to see the system change, though, you know, that it would be better uh, system there in place for them. OK, and people do have a chance to make submissions to the NCCA, I think it's until November. 
It is, yeah. I think it's the 2nd of November. People have a chance to make submissions now. I was just looking at the uh, survey that they have online at the moment. It's fairly detailed. There's a lot in it, but I think people should take the opportunity. Like, there's a few months there now to 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 come up with a few ideas and put them in there. We very much are, are behind, as I say, just keeping Irish the, the, as a core leaving sort of subject, but changing the way that we teach it, you know, focusing more on the skills, uh, language skills. And, of course, that be transferable. If you learn those skills in Irish, you're going to be able to use them for French or German or whatever other language you're doing as well. Yeah, and they all say that, that if you can pick up one language, it's always easier to pick up another language. That's it for certain, yeah. And there's not only that, but if you pick up the language fairly well, if we were doing things like PE and other things through Irish, like we see in the Grail School now, if we were doing that more and more, you actually get other benefits, the cognitive ben- benefits of um, being able to problem solve better. You know, that a, 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 a child who's learning in the two languages realizes that there's not always one solution to a problem. There could be two solutions. So it opens up something in the brain, you know, that actually helps the students develop in other subjects as well, maths and everything. So there's so many good reasons for us to be teaching Irish and doing it in a different way that would actually better uh, the experience and the outcomes that the students would have. Okay, and a listener says, my son is fluent in Irish. I taught him as a toddler and he attended an Irish preschool and Gwail school. He thanked me for sending him to those schools after he got an A in Honours of Irish for his junior search. He's fabulous also at speaking French um, and I believe this is due to him having learned Irish from such a young age. All right, so a lot of positive reaction uh, on it for sure. Okay, Julian, we leave it there. Thank you for that. And uh, thanks, uh, and uh, thank you for joining us. That is uh, Julian Despain who joins us. He's the General Secretary of Conrad Naguelga. With that, it's only a review at the moment. It's a review of the Senior Education, which is published by the National Council for Curriculum and Assessment. And it's just one of the things that's been tossed out. But they're going to now, you know, listen to people, listen to the likes of Julian and Conrad Naguelga, and listen to students as well to get their views on would they like to see Irish dropped as a com- at the moment it's compulsory it's, it's Irish, maths and English isn't that they're the only three compulsory subjects every other subject then you have a choice whether you want to sit it or not OK 1850-333-103 John Paul is taking your calls you can text her WhatsApp 86 uh, we will catch up on your calls and comments in the next hour. Also, we'll be speaking with the IFA and asking them, are they behind the beef movement plan who are protesting outside the meat factory in Bandon? Sunday mornings, C103 brings you interviews with actors and theatre directors, concert news and show reviews, live studio performances and festival roundups, exhibition info and the very latest film news. The Arts House, Sunday mornings, 8 till 10. With Griffin's Potatoes Cork. Planted, picked and produced in Cork. The great taste of home. On C103. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Lots of calls and texts coming in. Phone lines have been very busy, by the way. And uh, John Paul doing his best to get through as many of the calls as possible. So don't forget, you do have text and WhatsApp as well. 86 103103 on Irish and should we keep Irish lang- the Irish subject as a compulsory subject to leaving search? Tim says a restaurant we go to in Gran Canaria has a menu Osquelga for Irish holiday makers. I speak Irish pretty good but I usually order in Spanish just to try to improve the bit of Spanish I have uh, says Tim. Isn't that incredible? Just shows the amount of Irish people I suppose that go to the uh, Canaries and well done to that restaurant owner deciding to uh, to 
put an actual menu of Gael Gar. I wonder how many people actually use it. But you know, it's one of the points I made with Julian with the Gael Skull and Anne, so many children now going to Gael Skulls. We have and certainly going into the future, we have generations of children growing up who are fluent in Irish, which is fantastic to see. And long may that uh, continue. Now, on alcohol and the what's wrong with alcohol and the way we drink in this country, a minimum unit pricing and all of that. Some of your commentary on that. Hi, Patricia. I love your show. Thank you. Um, our alcohol crisis in Ireland. I don't believe that minimum pricing alone will solve overindulgence of alcohol, especially with our valuable and cherished young people. Primary school children are starting their journey to binge drinking and liver damage with vodka because they don't like the bitter taste of beer. The drinking habit is also the trigger to violence on nights out. It is totally out of control. These are scary times for parents of teenagers going out socially. Irish culture regarding alcohol is destroying too many lives. Could this government please raise the legal age to purchase and drink alcohol to 21 and then very strictly enforce it, says Anne. And that's the way it is in the States and it is very strictly enforced. You must be 21. Is that the way we should be going? Uh, That the minimum unit pricing is just one of many things that needs to be done. Irene in Mallow says too many stores are selling drink too cheaply and it's clear to see. Young people, I'm not talking about underage, I'm talking about people over the age of 18 are able to buy these drinks and it's leading to all kinds of problems. Liz in Mitchellstown says so many young people today drink before they go out then they go to the pub full of alcohol so they need to tackle the drink that is sold off licence and off trade uh, as well. Well that's the I couldn't get over that figure that uh, Ewan McKinney of Alcohol Action Ireland between 65 and 70% of the alcohol that's sold is sold off trade that, that was never the way it was before and that just proves the amount of drinking that's been done at home and the worry and the danger of drinking at home is that even if you're trying to stick to your units you know for example it's 11 units of alcohol for women per week and a unit of alcohol is a glass of wine but the glass of wine what's the size of the glass of wine I mean if you look at the unit glass that they talk about it is much smaller than many of the wine glasses we have at home. I mean, if you pour a glass of wine in your favourite glass that you use at home, you might have a nice crystal glass that you'd like to drink your wine out of. It probably can hold two units rather than one. And you think, oh, sure, I'm only having my one unit, only one glass of wine. It may actually be two glasses of wine. And that's the difference between drinking at home. It's the same when you're pouring spirits. Are you pouring an actual measure? Do you use a measure? Most of us don't. Most of us just clonk in the drink. We all know the relatives that are very heavy handed. If you go to their house and they're giving you a G&T or, or a whiskey and soda, there'll be a lot of whiskey or a lot of vodka inside in the glass. So are we drinking more? Is that also a danger when we're drinking at home? And then Deirdre in Middleton, while she says, yes, people are drinking and availing of cheap drinks, she also reckons that there is a change of culture. She's finding that she's noticed that when a lot of young people today are very body 
conscious body image for boys and for girls. And many people these days with busy lives are simply drinking non-alcoholic drinks, um, even when they're going out. She was speaking to a barman recently in a county town who said they used to only stock a very small amount of non-alcoholic drinks, but now they're stocking a lot more, nearly as many bottles as alcohol. So attitude is changing. I, yeah, I agree. There are there are more people going towards the non-alcoholic non-alcoholic drink but that's not been reflected in the amount of alcohol that's been sold off trade I mean 70 up to 70% of the alcohol has been drunk at home so people might be going out and drinking non-alcoholic but the vast majority when they're drinking at home are certainly drinking alcohol and very strong alcohol you worry when you hear of the likes of the spirits coming down in prices don't you and young people getting bottles of vodka and bottles of whiskey that's just crazy crazy stuff Mary and Clonakilty parents who encourage their children to become pioneers when they are young if one or two of their friends did it a few more will follow suit that parents need to encourage their children to become pioneers actually that's a topic that's subject worth uh, talking about the pioneer movement I know I spoke to John Paul we were hoping to do something with them there a while ago too too many young people continue to take the pledge I know certainly when I was making my confirmation we all took the pledge I I can't even remember if somebody came in and spoke to us or was it just the nuns got us all to stand up and you did the pledge and you got your pioneer pin and it was just it was almost like part of the ceremony for confirmation now I've been at a number of confirmations where certainly it, it certainly it wasn't mentioned at any of the religious ceremonies now I know taking the pledge has nothing to do with the religious aspect of it but does that still happen the pioneer movement do they still go into schools are young people still taking the pledge um, and if not is Mary and Clonakilty right is it something that as parents we need to do do we need to encourage our children to abstain from alcohol at least until the age of 18 which is what the pioneer when you take it as, as a young person isn't that they ask you to abstain until the age of 18 now how how many people took the pledge and did they actually make it through to 18 or not I'd be interested to hear from that as well did you take the pledge were you part of that system whereby you took it for your confirmation and if so how long did you last 1850 a few weeks ago a listener says a certain supermarket had a great offer on wine you could get six bottles for 30 euro I'm not talking about cheap plonk this was really good wine but there was a limit in the supermarket, you were only allowed 12 bottles per, per customer. Uh, Mags says the amount of people that went from supermarket to supermarket to the same chain just in, in their general area and loaded up. Christmas has been sorted for a lot of people and they got their wine uh, cheaply. Will that be happening when minimum unit pricing comes in no because one of the ones is they won't be able to do any of those uh, deals Morning Patricia um, bringing the legal age limit for drinking up to 21 years of age that's what needs to be done it's what we will have to do eventually look at our young people they have no idea how to ang- how to handle alcohol why so they are too young and they're too immature to handle the responsibility involved so there's another one actually going for the same going for the same argument of bring up the, it's 18 bring that up to 21 instead and follow the line that's been taken in the States and works very well in the States and that's not to say they don't have underage drinking in the, in the States but uh, raise the age to uh, 21. 
and I still see people giving out about that broadcasting charge saying we're only paying for rubbish at the moment we're not, we're not getting good public service broadcasting and someone says once you have a radio you should have to pay as well I can't see where radio has been mentioned anywhere it initially I think when the TV licence first came out it was for wireless as, as well but obviously that day has changed um, and while a percentage of the money does go to the independent radio sector it's a very small amount uh, of it but if you just have a radio I don't know that's something obviously that's going to have to get discussed with this new broadcasting charge will it also mean for the people who don't have TVs or Pat one of our listeners earlier who says doesn't have a smartphone doesn't have internet access gave up TV just not interested got rid of his TV two years ago only listens uh, to the radio and is at the moment he doesn't have to pay a TV licence but is wondering with the new broadcasting charge It'll be five years before it comes in, uh, Pat, and don't you know there'll be a lot more discussion between now and then. But as of now, I can't see it mentioned anywhere that it's going to cover households that just have a radio. Now, we've got a little piece for you from the Independence Festival, which is kicking off in Deer Park, just outside of Mitchellstown. Kicks off today and runs through until Sunday. But before I go to our piece... We had a text in from Court, one of our listeners, uh, to say, would you be able to please give a shout out for a spare indie ticket for today? One of my friends surprised us with a trip home from Canada and we don't have an indie ticket for her for today. Any help you could offer would be gratefully appreciated. Now, all of the tickets for today we know have been sold out. There are a few tickets left for tomorrow, day tickets left for tomorrow and a few tickets left for Sunday, but suddenly all the Friday tickets are gone. So what we're now hoping that somebody listening may have a spare ticket that they'd be willing to sell on because what often happens with festivals you buy your tickets weeks and months in advance and everybody's planning to go and then getting near to the time something happens it could be work it could be sickness it could be something up with somebody in the family and you're not able to go so does anybody know of anyone who has a spare indie ticket for a really really genuine case somebody home on a surprise the bank holiday weekend home made the trip home from Canada and all of her friends heading off to the Indie Festival for today she's covered for the weekend for Saturday and Sunday but they'd love her to be with them today and we have Court's number if there's anybody listening who has a ticket that they would be willing to sell on 1850 Now our senior news reporter Fiona Corcoran spoke to the organiser of independence Shane Dunn in advance of what is going to be a wonderful weekend <laughs> this year what can people expect um we've just tried to i suppose like we've done every year we've tried to improve a little bit but we have gone to a an outdoor main stage um first time since uh, 2013 i think um we've always had a kind of a tent on main stage but with the little increase in numbers and i suppose the crowds we're expecting for uh bastille and Capaldi and biffy claro um you know we felt that we needed the space so we've got a huge uh outdoor main stage but it looks great um it's just being uh rig there now for lights and, and video so should all be up and running sometime this evening this is the biggest crowd you've ever had 15,000 people is that right yeah yeah so we've I suppose we kind of you know since the start like we're into our 15th year now our 14th year so when it started in the square you know it was smaller numbers and it's just gone up a little bit kind of year on year but um, yeah we were you know kind of 8,000 then 10 then 12 and you know now 15 so it's great to kind of jump up to that but you know and then still sell out um, you know in advance um, so yeah it's great but uh, 
we just got to get everybody in now, get everybody in safe, you know, have a good weekend and get everybody home safe on Monday. If people are looking for tickets now, have you got any word of caution for them? Yeah, look, there's a handful of Saturday day tickets, like non-camping and Sunday day tickets, non-camping left. Um, all of our all of our weekend tickets are completely gone. Um, all of our Friday day tickets are completely gone. There are a few dud tickets knocking around, so I suppose if people are you know buying from a secondary source, uh, just to be very very careful. Um, you know, it's tickets that we use. We've seen some fake Ticketmaster tickets. Um, not Ticketmaster's fault, just people who didn't check who we who we sell with before they uh, photoshopped their uh, their tickets. So just be very very careful. You know, try and buy from someone that you trust, um, and just be careful. With them. If somebody does buy from a dud seller there's nothing that there's no fallback there's nothing that they can do about that yeah just it won't scan when they arrive to to the event and yeah there's nothing we can do for them you know like at the end of the day we have a you know capacity for the for the weekend we've hit that on weekend tickets so we can't sell anymore um so yeah if you do buy a, a fake ticket unfortunately you're kind of you're the one that you're going to be at a loss so just be very careful you know we hope it doesn't happen to anybody so just be careful <laughs> would you give to people who are coming to the festival over the weekend um, prepare for a bit of everything I think we're going to have really warm temperatures uh, tomorrow Friday it's going to be 23-24 degrees sunshine so you know drink loads of water get your beer like me and ginger you know get your factor 50 on um, and then it's going to be a little bit of rain showers on Saturday it's still warm but showers on Saturday and Sunday so you know prepare for that but like the thing I can suppose I always tell people when they're going to a festival is like just kind of look after your mates you know you're going to be you know coming in a group um you know pick a few points around the site where if you do get lost or if you know if your phone's dead you know where you can kind of rendezvous when you pitch your tent on friday kind of mark the location you know because especially if you come early and you put it up when there's not a lot of other people there you know if you come back four or five hours later and it's a sea of tents you know it can be kind of hard to find yours so just know your bearings know where the drinking water points are drink loads of water don't drink too much alcohol um you know don't take anything dodgy and just look after each other and have a good time you know that's the it's what it's about you know it's about arriving to a gig for two or three days with your mates forgetting you know the day job forgetting what's going on and just enjoy it people who are traveling to get here um are there car parking spaces available and are is there public transport yeah so um travel master have done uh, public buses from all over the place you can get a bus here and bus to mitchellstown um just if you're going late at night it's going to travel master is your best bet there's a full car park uh, facility here as well so if you're driving down you know but we would advise people you know carpool like you will have to pay a tenner to park the car for the weekend um so you know come with three or four people in the car um you know protect the environment a little bit we're trying to push that a little bit this year you know we've got global hydrate biodegradable water bottles on site you know we're minimizing kind of single-use plastics through all the concessions but now the day bleeds Ah, the wonderful sound of Lewis Capaldi. I'd love to be seeing him at, uh, he's playing at Indy uh, Independence at this weekend. And thanks to Fiona Corcoran and thanks to Shane Don for taking time out of what is a very busy weekend uh, for him uh, for catching up with Fiona uh, yesterday. And we hope everybody has a wonderful 
wonderful trip to Mitchellstown for independence this weekend. Uh, hi Patricia, if I'm in the car, this is on the Irish language. If I'm in the car with my son, who is a fluent Irish speaker, he changes over to Irish when a friend ring, rings him. Whilst understanding every word said, I didn't say anything. However, one day I couldn't resist correcting him when he got a word wrong. So the game was up. <laughs> <laughs> says the Douglas listener who thought so the son thought I'm assuming this is Mammy so the son thought she Mammy hasn't a clue what I'm saying and he's chatting away Osquelga not realising that Mammy's good at the old Osquelga as well and well John <laughs> she corrects him on something and he's stopped doing it uh, since uh, thank you for that um, John Paul taking your calls 1850 103 C103 Jobs Childbinder required to look after two children two to three days per week it's in the Mill Street uh, area Johan Seafoods, they're looking for general operatives. That's for their Bantry factory, factory. while carpenters and labourers are wanted for immediate start in the North and West Cork areas. And a health and safety officer is wanted for work in Ringeskiddy. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. C103, the River Lee and the Echo bring you the Cork City Sports Athletics Award. Athletics Award. Every month, a panel of sporting experts will give recognition to an outstanding Cork athlete. Cork athlete. This month's award goes to Fergal Curtin from Yole AC. After a stellar season with Arizona State University, Fergal performed a personal best run of 3.42.20 at the Portland Games. The Cork City Sports Athletics Award with the River Lee and the Echo and C103. This is the Court Today replay on C103. All week we've been covering the protests outside the meat factory in Bandon organised by the Beef Plan movement. We've heard some very emotional stories from beef farmers who appear to be really struggling to make ends meet with beef prices down approximately €150 Euro per head on last year. Many callers to the programme have asked why the IFA executive are not standing with and supporting the protest in Bandon. So we decided to invite Angus Woods who is chair of the IFA National Livestock Committee to join us on the programme. Good morning to you, Angus. Good morning. And you're welcome to the programme. Why are the IFA not supporting the protests at the Bandon uh, Meat Factory? And indeed, there are other protests around the country. Good morning. OK, first of all, uh, my name's Angus Woods. I'm a, a beef suckler and sheep farmer myself. So uh, I fully understand exactly where the marketplace is at the moment uh, and the kind of levels of prices that are being offered for cattle not just in Ireland, but right across Europe. And we have a very clear strategy with, within IFA. We have our own strategy, which is focusing on the level of imports co- coming into the European Union at the moment. Now, we held a protest ourselves outside Grange during the week, uh, outside the veterinary laboratories in Grange, which are responsible for policing the, the meat uh, coming into the European Union and also the meat uh, produced within the European Union and what is very very clear from that meeting is there is a different set of rules and regulations for European and Irish beef producers and a completely different set of rules for the likes of the Brazilian beef uh, producers So Which, there isn't a fair playing field is what you're saying? There's not, there's absolutely not and just, and I, I don't necessarily like putting lots of statistics on, on, on interviews but just so that your listenership, uh, your non-farmers would understand the scale of it, Brazil are putting 140,000 tonnes of beef into the European Union, mainly the high-value steak cuts, 
And bear in mind, the steak cuts represent about 30% of the value of the animal itself. So they're putting in 140,000 tonnes. Argentina are putting in 70,000. Uruguay are putting in 53,000. All of which is operating to a completely different rule book than what Irish and European farmers have to produce their beef to. And we're saying, this is not fair. This has to stop. The European market is under severe pressure at the moment and the handbrake has to be pulled on those substandard imports coming in. And but if, quite, if beef has been produced in Brazil using substances and practices which are illegal in the EU, why is it being sold here and in other EU countries? This is That's our exact point. We feel that European consumers don't want that product in here if they knew what they were getting from, from South America. But on top of that, European producers and Irish beef producers are being asked to compete in the marketplace with those and those products are pulling the price right across Europe and I work very closely with my European counterparts in the French farm organisations the Italians, the Germans even the Polish farmers and it's a problem right across Europe at the moment. The market is is suppressed because of the level of, of those imports coming in. So you're blaming the you're blaming Europe and the EU. So do you feel that the prices paid at the factory are in no way then contributing to the beef crisis? Well, ultimately, we as farmers and myself, when I when I sell my cattle, I deal directly with the meat factory. So that is my point of contact, just the same way as the consumer deals directly with the supermarket when the consumer goes into the supermarket. But ultimately, for for an Irish beef farmer to get a decent return and that's that's all we're asking for we're not we're we're not looking to become millionaires out of overnight out of this we're looking for a decent return for a hard day's work we expect as part of the european union we expect preferential access to that european market on terms where we are operating on a level playing pitch with every other uh meat that's coming into that marketplace and that's clearly not happening at the moment the director uh of the SVO in Grange came out to meet us, engaged with us, and told us very, very clearly that the the rule book that they use for inspecting factories in Brazil is a different rule book to what they use for inspecting production systems within Ireland and within Europe. So are, are you telling the farmers protesting, and, and I know they're, they're probably listening to us um, this morning, are you saying that they are protesting at the wrong place? They shouldn't be outside the meat factory in Bandon? Oh, absolutely. I am not saying that. I am, uh, what I am saying is this is the focus that IFA has chosen to take on it. Uh, the far, every farmer is entitled to their own opinion on what the best course of action is and what they choose to do. We are focusing on the imports, the substandard imports coming into Europe, we're very clearly saying that Commissioner Hogan, in his announcement on the Mercosur deal, he said there was a billion available for European farmers if the market collapsed. And we're saying very clearly the beef market right across Europe has collapsed. And that billion needs to be brought forward and used right now. The fund, the fund that was put in place, and bear in mind this the is the hundred, mi- the hundred million. The hundred yeah. million. Yeah. Bear in mind, the proposal for that fund came from the IFA Livestock Committee, and when we first proposed that, uh, I have to say most people sort of chuckled and sniggered and said that would never be delivered. 
we delivered it through a lot of hard work. Yeah, but we, but we heard from farmers this week, um, Angus, who said it isn't enough. Exactly. And, and we also heard to, from, from yeah. the farmers po- who sent their cattle post May the 12th. Yeah, and I was just coming to that point. The first point is, most people chuckled and said that would never happen. We worked and worked tirelessly, most of which the, the work that went into getting that 100 million happens pretty much unseen to the ordinary farmers in Vos meetings in Brussels and various different places about getting that. It's almost a more um, visible things that we would have done in relation to getting the 100 million was the protest down in Cork uh, and, a, and a big meeting in Port Leash as well too. But the majority of the work that happens in relating, relating to that happened within the European Commission with us in the IFA using our lobbying power to guarantee that. Now, and I absolutely agree and what we're saying in terms of the next step is that fund needs to, we need a, a phase two of that fund. To more, cover, more money. Okay, but can I go back to the original question? Are you supporting the farmers who are protesting outside Bandon this morning? We, we have a very clear strategy within IFA, which is focused around what I'm saying in terms of looking at the level of imports coming in, looking at funding and compensation, the other aspect that needs to be dealt with is, is in terms of promotion within Europe, promoting, uh, I believe, suckler beef across Europe. Uh, yeah, all of those things need to be done. But are you, yeah. I back, I'll go back again, are you supporting the farmers who are standing today? They've been there 24 hours a day since last Sunday. Are you supporting the farmers who are outside the meat factory in Bandon? Are the IFA supporting them? I'm saying very clearly that the factory... No, I, I need a yes no, or a no answer. I'm, I'm going to give you an answer here. I'm saying very clearly the farmers that are protesting outside the factories are very much entitled to, de- to do their protest in a peaceful manner, which they have been doing. They're very much entitled to do that. And the question is, what is IFA's focus? And I, uh, I have quite clearly outlined our focus. Yeah, but can you not ourselves. have that focus and also support them and say, yes, they're doing the right thing? They are perfectly entitled to do exactly what they're doing, which is to protest. And we. But we, do you agree IFA, with what they're doing? I certainly agree with anyone that is looking to get a better price for farmers, be it in any of the sectors, be it beef, dairy, tillage, any sector. Farmers, the one thing, the one thing that probably annoys me the most at the moment is this continuous drive to split farmers into various different categories and it can be through different farm groups, it can be through different types of farmers and it's a continuous drive and it's not going to be productive in the long run. Well that's what everybody's asking for a united approach Um, Angus, that's why people wanted to know where the IFA stood on this stay there because John uh, wants to come in on this uh, discussion. Good morning to you John Good morning. Are, Are you a member of the IFA? I was for you, 50 years, but not any longer. OK, what's what's your view on this? Uh, well, I think uh, I'd have to agree with a lot of what Angus said, but uh, remember, Angus, uh, he collect a lot of your uh, income from levies in the, in the meat factories, and I think if you're collecting, you'll deny it, but if you're collecting a lot of your income from the meat factories, you're compromised in, because if they're collecting... Uh, Goodman was a, a typical example of it, uh, when they decided they wouldn't collect levies anymore. And if you're collecting levies, there has to be a, 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 um, a, a trade-off in, in, in some sort. And uh, this is a European context. And I think 
uh, you're going to have to find other other uh, methods. And I think it's a pity that you wouldn't give a straight answer when Patricia asked you, why wouldn't you support other fellow farmers? We have a plethora of farming organisations in this country, and that's not to the benefit of farmers to try and protect their incomes. Angus? Yeah, I suppose, look, there's a couple of things there. Like, I'm, I'm glad John agrees in terms of the European aspect to this, because as an exporting, as a major beef exporting nation, what happens on the European market is absolutely critical uh, in terms of the price we receive back at home. And John did also highlight there that the Goodman operation or the ABP operation does not collect levies for IFA. So there is no levy, there is no tie-in, there is no connection there in relation to the ABP in, in relation to levies. So that's that's great. But you that's, collect uh, from other agreed. factories, it's just the APB one you don't collect from? Well, that's definitely the ABP one, which is always which is always seen to be the high-profile one now. And one so would you I not would like go down say, and stand with the farmers then and protest outside the APP in Bandon? Well, I'm just going to finish on the levy thing. One thing that is never discussed by either the Livestock Committee or the Livestock Chairman is the levy, because that is irrelevant to the policy uh, that the Livestock Committee uh, develop as we go. In relation, and, re- and John was right there in relation to the number of farm organisations, it is growing. Uh, there's, I'm not sure how many there is now. I think there's five, six, seven at this stage now. And again, it comes back to it comes back to the whole uh, division. Uh, and it certainly is appealing to a lot within the media to have continuous rows between different farm organisations trying to encourage people to say this or say that or say the other. Uh, I'm saying very clearly, the beef plan are protesting. They're perfectly entitled. They're well within the right to, to do a protest. We have a, a different strategy in place at the moment, which is relating more towards the European market. Okay, and, 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 you, can, and you've explained that, but, but Angus, I, and, and I certainly, I certainly we're, we're not looking for rows. If, if you knew this programme well, we, we, we don't look for rows. But, but I tell you what did get to me this week was listening to some of the older farmers, the beef farmers and some of them very emotional on the airways with us uh, this week and it was very hard to listen to these men who have dedicated their entire life to an industry and they are just going down the swanee and they feel that there is nobody uh, there for them. But I, but I will bring John back in on the point you made about, you know united we fall uh, divided, we, divided we stand, united we fall or the other way around. You know what I'm trying to say John, yep. is, there, is there a case that, you know, you've, you've missed you were a member of the IFA. Do we need everyone to unite and get together? We most certainly do because uh, it's not in anybody's interest. And I mean, if Angus says that the IFA represents uh, the uh, backbone of, of the agri industry in this country, uh, uh, he's admitting we have a number of different farm organisations. And if they broke away, a lot of those were, say, the Grain Growers Association, the Healing Nature, the Irish Cattle and Sheep Farmers, the Beast Plan Movement, to name but a few, and the ICMSA, which have been there nearly as long as the IFA. I mean, it doesn't that give an example that they feel that the IFA isn't representing their views anymore? And I think, why won't you come together, all the farming organisations, and... Uh, it, it was tried before on TJ Mayer's, but the reason it broke down is the IFA went to control of everything. And you, if, you can, if you're not willing to compromise the Angus and represent the farmers who feel that you're not representing them anymore, well, then the divide and conquer will only suit politicians and not farmers. Okay, Angus, final word to you. Yeah, look, final word. 
Look, as I've said very clearly, the beef plan are perfectly entitled to do protests and are well within their well within the remit to do that. We have a slightly different focus, but both focuses are around trying to get a better income for farmers and for beef farmers. And we just have a slightly different one. We have our a long-running campaign running. Last week, as I say, we were in Grange. We were focusing on trying to limit and pull the handbrake on the level of imports coming in because ultimately that's the only way we are going to get a decent return back to beef farmers in Ireland. Is okay. if, we can, if we can have a strong European market, and, and in fairness, most farmers would agree that asking Irish farmers to jump through all the hoops while allowing in a substandard product to undermine the market, that's not good and that's not sustainable. And we need to tackle that to try and rebalance. The European market at the moment is about 102% self-sufficient. The level of imports coming in represent almost 4.5%. If the handbrake was pulled on the level of imports, we'd be in a much better balanced marketplace and hence beef farmers right across Ireland. Okay. And, um, and, Marty, and the figures you're talking about is even before the Mercursor trade deal kicks in but I've got oh, to leave it there absolute, listen absolute I've got to leave it there thank that, you yeah. for that and thanks uh, for joining us John in Castletown Roach thank you for joining us and uh, Ingus Wood who is the chair of the IFA National Livestock uh, Committee Christian Fromoy reckons the IFA are still collecting levies um, and even if you try to get them stopped it's impossible they are still taking uh, they're still getting levies and Patricia a typical IFA he won't won't give you a straight yes or no uh, answer Uh, they don't appear to care about rural life and the struggles of uh, farmers 1850-333-103 John Paul taking your calls text WhatsApp 0862-103-103 and can I just direct people I think John Paul has got these on our Facebook page by now no he hasn't yet Okay, just to let you know we'll be putting them up on our Facebook page in a couple of minutes and I'll let you know when when they exactly go live but thank you to do I I don't do am I to say who sent these in I don't know because it's the photographs I don't know if I've um, I'll check with John Paul if, if the person wants me to say who sent them in I've been sent in photographs of the public toilets in Ballinine and Eskeen now these were toilets that we we spoke about public toilets a couple of weeks ago maybe last month or early in the summer anyway, we spoke about public toilets and people were talking about various public toilets good public toilets uh, public toilets that are well maintained I was talking about Court McSherry for example when I was down there a couple a number of weeks ago they have wonderful public toilets that are spotlessly clean and great to see tourists and visitors uh, going in and out um, on day trips or you know uh, while down in Court Mac but Ballinine and Eskeen have been sent on photographs and it's apps they are disgusting I mean we were already discussing about putting them up on our Facebook page and we're going to have to put a warning on them that if you've got a weak constitution you might be better off steering clear of these photographs they really are disgusting and it, and if you look really carefully at the photographs I mean it looks like they're lovely they, those tiles look okay the, you know it looks you know, it it, do, it doesn't look like there. It, it's a Dickensian toilet, even though there's no toilet seat on it now. I have to say anything, but it's just disgusting, absolutely disgusting. You would not allow an animal in to do his business inside in those toilets. You really wouldn't. As I say, we will get them up on our uh, Facebook page uh, as soon as we can. It's just you know, John Paul's been busy with the phones. Eighteen fifty three 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 one zero three. Thousands of you tune in to C103 every day. Now you can win thousands of euros. Thousands of euros. 
The latest radio audience ratings show 244,000 people listen to Cork's 96FM and C103 every week. Source JNLR, Ipsos, MRBI 2019 2. So to celebrate, Simon's Celebrity Seas will now play across the entire day. Guess the celebs to grab the cash. Our way of saying thanks for listening. Tune in to win from Tuesday morning at 6am on C103. And united we stand, divided we fall was the phrase that I just couldn't think of. I was getting so annoyed with the with Angus from the IFA in him not giving me a, a straight uh, yes, no um, answer. Uh, and actually I was about to say, and I could see a couple of people have texted in the same thing, say, God, wouldn't that guy make a great politician? Hard to get a straight, na- a straight answer from him. Let me go to Mary, who is in uh, Skibreen and who was protesting during the week. Um, good morning to you, Mary. Good morning, Patricia. You 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 took the time to go down and protest at the be- at the meat factory in Banton. Yes, I did, and I'm on my way there again now. You are a beef farmer. I am a beef farmer. I'm a sucker farmer all my life. Struggling. Struggling all my life, but struggling no worse than ever. And yes, and, and who were you? Who were you blaming? Are you blaming the factory? Or are you blaming what what Angus from the IFA is saying? We're blaming the wrong people. It's the EU we should be blaming. Well, he. You asked the question there, what did he support us or not? He didn't answer yes or no. Do you think he should be there supporting you? Well, I'm a, a member of IFA also. I think that more people and more organisations would have to come out to support us. He says the problem is in Brussels and it's here and it's there and it's everywhere. But there's nobody doing anything about it. Why so? Are we the only people in that have to cut our sector herd by 50%. This is going to be part of... This is for climate change, isn't it? Yes. What about the rest of the EU countries? Are you, are you claim you're, we're the only country in Ireland that's been asked to do it? Oh, I didn't hear of any other country being asked to do it, any only Ireland. Yeah. all over the journal this week. And it is, it's, it's the beef sector. It's, it's almost like you're the sacrificial lambs, isn't it? We'll get the, yes. the yeah, you seem to be the ones uh, taking, taking it all. And I mean, and, and a cut of 50%, that, what would that mean? Would that put half of the dairy far, the beef farmers out of business? Half the fucking cows out of the country. Half, over half of them. 53% I think. We say 50% by 2030, so years time. Yeah, you wonder going forward, will we have any beef farmers left in this country? Yes, as I said to you on, on Monday, I said to Fiona Cochran and Bandon, like, I'm a dying generation. Okay, stay stay there. Joe is in uh, Bantry. Uh, um, morning, Joe. Good morning, Patricia. How uh, are you? I'm, I'm, I'm doing well. Have you been to the protest? I, I've been there nearly every day. Okay. Anyway. You know, I've been listening to your program there every day and uh, I'm also listening to the IFA Menno and he's a pure politician. He, and that's where they end up as a politician, TDs or something, that he'll never give you a straight answer. You asked him twice or three times, will you, will you support us? And he didn't give a right answer. That's the way they are. They'll only support uh, the big fellas like Larry Goodman and the factories. This hundred million that's coming into the country is a disgrace to the, to the Irish beef farmers in this country. It's coming into the factories, giving more money to the people like Larry Goodman and like, like the likes of all cattle dealers, every 
that's, that's uh, taking the beef into the factory. Anyone that's, I'm a dairyman and a, a beef farmer, anyone that's over 40 cows like myself, will not, I'm after sending in bulls into the factory, I will not get one penny out of that 100 million. Why? Because I'm over 40 cows. It's only for people under 40. And, and I know Jared Janine broke it up and it's a very little amount anyway. It's just nothing. The only people that's going to gain by this is the rich people. They'll make, him, they'll make the people richer and the people poorer, poorer. Are you back, they, they, are you back at the protest today, Joe? I'm going, I'm going back over there now again. And what's the mood? But, what's the mood like at the protest? The mood is not good because we're getting no support. No. Uh, uh, the first meeting I went to Beef 10 was about Kilmare and they were putting down the dairy farmer and I said Les you're going the, down the wrong road completely and I was right because the most people over there in Benton Factory are dairy farmers Okay. and and we have to pull together all these farm organisations where's the ICSA no they're, they're supposed to be supporting the beef farmers and the sheep farmers where are they I don't, I don't ever hear money problem. They're, they're, they're not standing with these farmers. These are only Arnie farmers. Beef land are made up by only Arnie, Arnie farmers. That's what they're, they're, they're made yeah. up of. Yeah. And, yeah. and they, they need support. And if you get support, you will do something about the price of beef. If we're, not, if we're going to sit down and do nothing, you're going to have to get nothing. The worst thing that came into this country was all these single farm payments. The milk quota gone. That's number one. The milk quota should have been left there. Um, the, the single farm payment came in, destroy the farmers. We'd be way better off to go down to the mart and get our price what our parents did. Do you think that one moment that our children and our grandchildren would be getting the same price that our, their great-great-grandfather was getting back in the 80s? We're getting more money for our cattle back in the 80s. And Patricia, I know you don't understand and this, ca- and but costs, we yeah, and, and, but, yeah, but and costs have gone up. I mean, if, if, costs if, if costs were the same as they were back in the 1980s, they would be fine. But I mean, they... Back in, back in the 80s, you get a pallet of fertiliser for 100, 140 pounds. Yeah. It's 800 euros now. Whoa. The price of diesel that time was 40, 40 cents pence. Yeah. It's, 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 it's up to nearly 90 pence now. Like so if, uh, and you're, you're so saying when, when, you, when you take an animal to factory... The same price has been paid. When, no, same price. You're getting less. Not the same price. You're getting less money. What we're getting back in the eighties. So there's, there's there's no industry can keep going like that. There's no money. Do you think for one moment that we saw people going out of that factory? Do you think that they'd get the, if they were getting the same wages they were getting back in the eighties? Do you think they'd be there? No, they would not. No. And the same with the milk. I can see the same the milk. I'm milking cows all my life. It's same with the milk. We're getting the same, we're getting less money than we're getting back in the 80s. Yeah, we're constantly re- hearing and that. The, and the reason why, and farmers have to wake up. There's farmers milking cows, four and five hundred cows, destroying everything, and they're only making fools of themselves. They're, the more you produce, the less you get. And that's what Brussels wants. I was over in Belgium a few years ago, inside a farm, 400 cows, and he couldn't wait to see the milk cows go. And I said, why? Shall I destroy the price of the milk? Oh, he said, I'll double my cows. These farmers yeah. are brainwashed. Okay, listen, I'm over on time. I've got to leave it there. We'll let you get back to the protest. Thank you, uh, Joe, and thanks to Mary uh, in uh, Skibbereen before that. 1850-333-103. John Paul is taking your calls and and I'm now being told that those photographs of the public toilets in Ballinine and Eskeen are gone up on our Facebook page, C103's Facebook page, and they're also up on Twitter. Strong constitution, though. 
How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I suggest to you, before you look at them, because they are quite disgusting, we'll take a look at your calls and uh, comments and we'll go to the movies with Mark. Um, all coming up. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed texts and calls coming into the programme thank you it's been very busy today and we really appreciate all of your interaction uh, Mary says hi Patricia in defence of reading in the years somebody earlier was complaining about the programme reading in the years and saying it's the same reading in the years soon as the news goes to half six it goes to a half an hour in the summer months because there isn't as much news around and then RTE will put on reading in the years and if, you've, if you are a regular watcher you'll nearly know what's going to come up on a one given programme even though I defended it saying I think it's a programme I actually uh, enjoyed and I've watched quite a few of them uh, Mary says it's amazing how much the younger generation can learn from this programme they're amazed at the facts that appear in the programme this then leads us to having a discussion about events i.e. the troubles in the north for, for example says Mary and you're right I don't know how many times I've ended up having discussions over something that will come up on the programme even if it's just the simple God will you do you remember when that happened and is it that long ago kind of a thing so I, th- I think it is and you are right it is great for younger people to let them know of events that happened in the not too distant past and stuff that they probably didn't even learn about in their history books at school thank you for your text uh, Mary on the farmers hi Patricia and John Paul I have some sympathy for the farmers in Ireland if farmers are getting only €4.80 Euro an hour that's roughly what they're reckoning they're getting then Surely they should change course and try something else. Maybe there are too many beef farmers in the country. Could that be the problem? The farmers should retrain in some other career. When the economic crash happened in 2008, tens of thousands of construction workers lost their jobs and were forced to retrain. The farmers are not any special to anybody are not as special to anybody else uh, says uh, Tommy who's suggesting farmers can train and yeah I can see younger farmers deciding I've had enough of this I can't make money can't raise a family I could see them up and leaving but there's just one flaw in certainly a lot of the farmers who contacted us this week they're older farmers and they're they're gone past the age where they would be able to train and do anything else all they know is beef farming and that they would just find it very hard to move to change direction at the age they're at but yeah I certainly think for the younger farmers I think that's exactly what is happening Uh, thank you Tommy for your text and Dennis contacting us from somewhere in the UK looking at the number says Patricia as regards the IFA under the Freedom of Information Act the IFA have to show their accounts to whoever requests it so if there's any underhand dealings it will be revealed that's to do with the levies and 
Angus from the IFA said they don't well they certainly don't collect from the APB any of the Larry Goodman factories but do they collect from others it'll all be there in their accounts they will have to be have to be shown says uh, Dennis thank you for that uh, Dennis some of your texts coming in John says uh, that Angus man from the IFA is a waffler and our whole family will be withdrawing their membership from the IFA next Tuesday morning as they've done nothing for the farmers of this country and Angus has made it quite clear today on your programme that they don't care about all the families who are heavily in debt and the body that is supposed to represent us has failed us. I hope the IFA is put out of commission. This is coming from a young, highly trained farmer and I won't be working my whole life for €2.60 an hour. What will I live on for the rest of my life? And that comes in from uh, John. I think someone up the anger that's certainly out there amongst beef farmers at the moment. Thank you for that. OK, just on a couple of other texts and comments coming in. Um, toilets. We mentioned toilets and this is the, I don't know how many people have seen it on our Facebook page. Go to the C13 Facebook page to see the pictures that one of our listeners sent in, Balanina and the Skeen and the public toilets. I'm telling you, you would not allow an animal in there to do its business. Absolutely shocking. Um, hi Patricia says, Mags, I was in Wing Kids Play Park during the week in my smallie wanted to go to the toilet. You should see the state of the public toilets in Boing Park. There was bird poo everywhere inside. Toilets were manky, I would say, looking at them, that they were never, ever, ever cleaned. My smallie, simply, he could not use them with the dirt that was in there. I was shocked at the state, says Mags. That's in Boing Children's Park. We'll, we'll get on to the council, because I'm assuming they're all under the remit of the council, both the, the one for Bwing and for Valenina and the scheme and see if there's anything can be done or will we get any indication of when they're hoping to get out and clean them up. But then when they do clean them up, how do you make sure that they're kept clean? I mean, it almost needs to be a daily thing, doesn't it? That somebody needs to check on those toilets and give them a quick hose out or clean out and make sure that they are clean. I mean, if you see, when you see the ones in Ballinina and Eskeen and what what Mags is describing there in Winglet, that didn't happen overnight. That didn't happen in a few days. That didn't even happen in a week, I would say. So I'll get John Paul to get onto the council and we'll, I'll get John Paul to add Wing to the list of public toilets just to see can they update us on what is, when do they hope to have those toilets cleaned and cleaned to a standard that they can be used? Certainly what Mags describes she, her so bad she couldn't even let her small. And for a little boy, it's usually reasonably easy to get a little boy in. It's much tougher for a little girl to get her to go to a, a to- to the toilet in, when, it's, when it's bad like that. But for a boy, if the urinal, the toilet is reasonably okay, you can get them to stand without touching anything. Do you know what I mean? But Mag said so bad she couldn't even, couldn't even get the little fella to use the toilet at all. And then another listener says, Patricia, I'm raging. And it comes up every time. The, I've, it comes up every year at this time in McCroom Town. Trucks passing through with bales of straw etc destroying our gardens and driveways why can't they drive the Han Road it would take them the back way it would stop them coming through the main centre of the town What are the ti- where are tidy towns on this now I'm assuming with the bales of straw 
it's falling out as it's driving through. Is that the problem? And it's landing in the garden, destroying gardens and driveways. Anybody else have an issue with that? Farmers have to move their bales of hay. And if they're driving through a very residential area, and I don't know how many bales of hay go through residential areas. I'm assuming the majority of them will go back roads and side roads and by roads. So they're not going through very residential areas. But do other people find that their gardens and driveways get absolutely destroyed from the large agricultural machinery pulling the bales of hay and getting them into storage for the winter. 1850 on making Irish or not making Irish a compulsory subject for Leaving Cert was what we discussed. Hi Patricia. Uh, two issues relating to compulsory Irish to Leaving Cert level. First is the different standard of teachers. Now this listener says St. Angela's College in Sligo college I'm I'm unaware of. It's a five-year course to become an Irish teacher. And then this listener says UCC two years. Secondly, the students, some have great language ability and some have great mathematical ability. P.S. As for good and bad maths teachers, that would make for a fantastic debate, says a texter. I'm I'm questioning the two-year two years in UCC to become an Irish teacher. I'm assuming somebody would do uh, an arts degree for in, in the Irish language and then go on and do the teaching. Is it? Is that it? I mean, there's, there's no one can just go into UCC, do a two-year course and become a teacher unless you'd have a degree beforehand, I'm assuming. So I don't know what's the difference between the five-year course and the, the, the two-year course. But you are right. There is, whatever about the way they're trained, there is a, the, the teaching standard and not even standard I think all teachers you assume are trained to a certain level and to a certain standard it's just some teachers have a vocation for it I think and some don't we'll all I think any one of us will remember teachers who were able to encourage us in school and they were the subjects you excelled in they were the subjects you did best in because you had a teacher who had a love of the language and had a love of teaching and getting across the information. I mean, with that lovely text in earlier when I was talking with Julian de Spain of Conrad Naguelga, of somebody who struggled with Irish up to junior cert, and only that it was compulsory, they certainly would have given it up. But then when they went into senior cycle, met a wonderful teacher who had a passion for the language and was able to instill that passion in the students. And I don't think you can be taught that. That's, you know, that's just... It, to me that's a vocation it's a vocation and it's a passion for the particular subject that you're teaching and I don't think there's any college course anywhere that can teach you that and you, when you say about as for maths teachers that would make for a fantastic debate I imagine I could open it up on every subject and in every subject you're going to get good and bad teachers but like it's just it's across the board isn't it it's not just teaching it's in all professions they'll always be good and they'll always be bad unfortunately Hi Patricia, thank you for your text by the way Mary McCroom is on when I mentioned the pioneer movement because somebody was saying earlier when we were talking about young people and drinking what needs to happen is families need to encourage their children to become pioneers and I was wondering how many young people today actually join the pioneer movement and make the pledge 
at confirmation at six class that they will abstain from alcohol until 18. I don't know if, if many do it or not. Uh, Mary said, well, I was listening to your programme. Well, I can tell you, I've been a pioneer for 50 years. I've had no problem socialising when I go out from time to time. I was encouraged to take a drink, but I never felt the need to. Some of my friends drank, some of my friends don't and didn't over the years. And I can still go and enjoy myself without having a drink. Even if everybody else is having one, says Mary in McCroom. Well done. I don't know if you are our driver and do you then become the designated driver and suddenly you're very popular Mary everybody wants to go out with Mary because Mary's going to be the one getting everybody home uh, safely afterwards and I'm not saying Mary that's the reason that your friends go out with you but it's always great to have somebody in the party who doesn't uh, drink Hi uh, Patricia hope this message finds you well could you please call out please that there will be no water in Drina this is due to a burst Water main. Hopefully it'll be restored by four o'clock this evening, but they are working on it. So that's Drina. No water. And Mushra platform dancing is on next Sunday, 4th of August, 3 to half past five. Music is by the Singing Jarvie. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council. Supporting businesses, supporting communities, serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie. Ballyfahan Bingo goes ahead tonight at eight o'clock in the community centre. €5,000 uh, with a guaranteed payout of 4000 proceeds to the upkeep of the hall. Ballinhasse Community Development Association fundraising social dance in the Marion Hall tonight. Music is to Peter Burke from 9.45. Teas will be served. Bingo is in Kildallery Community Hall tonight at half past eight. All are welcome. There's also bingo in the Friary in Kinsale tonight. Proceeds in aid of the Friary Restoration. While Clyde Rovers GAA, they've got their weekly lotto draw Derry Murphy's uh, bar and the jackpot is €2,400. And a total of 1484 was collected for the Friends of Manor Hospital through their church gate collection in Newmarket and Tower last weekend. So a thank you to uh, everyone. And road restrictions will be in place in Connor Village this weekend, Saturday and Sunday between 5pm and 11pm each day to facilitate Connor Street Fair. Please check road signs for alternative routes. C103 brings you Farm Talk with John O'Connor. Saturdays at 10am and Wednesdays at 10pm. New methods of slurry spreading are helping limit greenhouse gas emissions in farming. I suppose one big consideration with that is if you put out slurry with the band spreader on the trailing shoe, a lot of farmers are still familiarising themselves with the use of the equipment. Turn on Farm Talk with Dairy Gold Agribusiness for quality feed, expert service and support you can trust. Only on C103. Okay, one of our listeners in West Cork sent us on photographs of the current state of the toilets in Ballinin in Eskeen and they truly, truly are shocking. And I know we discussed public toilets a number of weeks ago on the programme and these toilets came up again. They were one of the ones mentioned as being particularly bad. Yvonne Kahla uh, from Domamway joins me on the programme. Good afternoon to you, uh, Yvonne. Hi, Patricia. How are uh, no, you? I'm very well. Now, you ran as in the local elections as a uh, for under the for the Fine Gael party in the recent local elections and you you say that this was an issue that came up when you were out campaigning for votes absolutely as far as Bellin and Eskina it was probably one of the predominant issues that they had um they've been allocated money funding for um to because the talk was it was that if they were going to close it and uh, given that it was right right next to the bus stop and everything it was invaluable. Um, 
So they were allocated money to keep it open and to uh, upgrade it. Um, the problem is they don't have, uh, I can't remember the chap's name, but the, the, the chap that was uh, working with the county council in the area, it, w- it would be him that would be um, maintaining it. A member uh, of the so outdoor staff. Yes, exactly. Yeah. 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 So they're looking for somebody who will volunteer to um, to upgrade it, be it Tidy Towns or, or whatever. But there's a, there's a couple of more issues in the town that if, if Cork County Council were willing to have um, a staff member in the area, it would solve a domino of issues. Um, for instance, uh, further up near... Um, uh, uh, sorry... Uh, uh, the sawmills. Um, there's in the when it's heavy, when it rains quite heavily, those gutters fill up. And mm. um, when they had staff there, they were able to clean the gutters more frequently, and they they weren't getting flooding. So that yeah, was but that's a big that's a huge issue going right across the county is outdoor staff, the lack of outdoor staff for the council. Yeah, and yeah. It, it it would actually it would definitely solve at least three issues yeah. in the town that came up. All the time. Have you There's seen the? Did you go into these toilets when you were campaigning, by any chance? I needed to use the loo when I was I was well, canvassing on the day, and I was horrified. Like the the ladies' ones are locked, and um, so the men's are the, the picture that's on um, your Facebook page is the men's. Okay, and uh, it's yeah, it's it's horrific. I I went across the road to Foley's and had to use their. And their, are you telling bathroom. me the ladies is locked because it's worse than that? Yes. Oh. Dear yeah, God. no, they're they're bad. They're they're pretty bad. And for a town, you know, there's a lot of effort with their murals. Their yeah, it's their unfair. It, yeah, it is. It's, they it they is put unfair. a lot of work into their tidy towns. And everything. Okay, yeah. and we are on to them. Thank you for that, Yvonne. And uh, thanks for joining yeah, us. Have I a put it put it to county council, and, and uh, I I promise to keep on top of it. But definitely, if it's something that any elected councillor that's there right now is willing to step up and go look, yeah, that's a big issue. You've got the funding, but now we need to maintain it and maintain the other issues that are there as well. Then, yeah, okay. it needs to be done. Have a good yeah. weekend. Thanks you for that. Thanks care. for joining Bye-bye. us. Uh, Yvonne Callan joining us from Dunmanway. Actually, Councillor Declan Hurley uh, is on to us to say the Bananina and Eskeen public toilets were closed to the public last year and are not being maintained and are not supposed to be accessible to the public. Declan says, I'm shocked to see the state of the photographs. He spotted seeing them on our Facebook page and he'll be getting onto the council uh, on about the matter. Now, that's interesting because Yvonne says the ladies' ones are closed because they're so bad, but somehow the men's ones were opened. And I'm trying to think, were, when we, were they, I'd have to check with John Paul, I don't know if they were the toilets when we mentioned them, when somebody contacted us who wasn't from the area, contacted us to say they went into a public toilet and they were shocked at the condition of the toilets. And somebody came back saying, I don't know how they got in because those toilets are locked. <laughs> that they shouldn't have been able to get in, but they had been able to get in. I don't know if a funny thing it was, the Balanine and, and the Skeen ones. Well, clearly they're open. Clearly the men's ones are open because we're getting calls from people saying that they've tried to use them and our listener got in there and took the photograph. So, so clearly they are. And during the, leak, during the run-up to the local elections, Yvonne went in, so she saw them as well. So they're clearly not locked. But that in itself is not good enough. It's not good enough to say, we'll just put a lock on the door and leave them there. They're, they're, they're good toilets. They need to be refurbished and then they need to be maintained so that people 
coming in and out of Ballinina and Skeen. The bus stop is near there. The local businesses shouldn't be the ones responsible for providing a public toilet when there are public toilets there. And we, as I say, we're, we're getting onto the council to see if we can get any update. And we're also adding Wing because of Mags telling us about the, the park in Wing. Now, I have to say, Mags, when I mentioned the park, the play park in Wing and the public toilets and the fact that Mags said it was full of bird poo and they were manky and she said, reckoned they were never cleaned. We did get a couple of people ring John Paul to say that there are swallows nesting. Now, I don't know if they're inside in the toilet or outside of the toilet, but that's the reason that there's so much bird poo. And one listener says it would be very unlucky to remove the swallow's nest. There are a number of people believe that you will bring awful shock and awful luck bad luck on yourself if you try and remove a swallow's nest and one listener now I'm not this is not officially coming from the council one listener reckons that's why the toilets have been left in the condition they're in it's because the swallows are nesting so they're in and out that's why there's bird poo all over the place and so what's the point of cleaning it up when there's a swallow's nest there and I'm assuming that once the swallow nest goes, will somebody go in and clean it up? I can't say that that's and and that it would. I'm not saying that that's the official line from the council. That was just one of our listeners reckoned that's the reason that they're in the condition that they're in. But it seems there is a swallow nest. It would at least explain why there is so much bird poo uh, inside in the toilets in wing in the children's park. We are endeavouring to get an answer back from Cork County Council. Don't know on the Friday of a bank holiday weekend if we'll hear back from them. We've certainly in the next 25 minutes, if not, uh, we'll certainly bring you their response next uh, Tuesday. Thousands of you tune in to C103 every day. Now you can win thousands of euros. Thousands of euros. I want it the latest radio audience ratings show 244,000 people listen to Cork's 96FM and C103 every week. Source JNLR Ipsos MRBI 2019-2. So to celebrate, Simon's Celebrity Seas will now play across the entire day. Guess the celebs to grab the cash. Our way of saying thanks for listening. Tune in to win from Tuesday morning at 6am on C103. And we've been talking earlier on about the Indie Festival in Mitchestown is kicking off uh, today and it runs right across the weekend. Well, our Fiona Corcoran, our senior news reporter, is in Mitchestown and she caught up with some of the festival goers as they made their way in. First, she spoke to a group of guys who didn't have to travel very far. They came from Kilworth. It's my first time, yeah. 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 <laughs> and what are you like? What are your expectations for this weekend? I don't really know. Um, I'm expecting a lot of people. I'm expecting a lot of drink. I'm expecting a lot of fun. I think it'll be good. It'll be good. Who or what are you most looking forward to? Uh, Lewis Capaldi and Bastille, definitely tonight. And is it all about the headline acts or, you know, um, are you interested in the other things that are going on at the festival? No, def- no, because um, our friend, actually, who we go to school with is in a band and they're playing. So it's good to kind of see, like, the local bands be intermixed with the big artists. And are you interested in the same kind of music then as well? Yeah, definitely, like, and... Like the festival's getting bigger every year, so it looks like it's it looks very good this year and it's sold out and everything, so it's hope to be a good weekend anyway. <laughs> and are you prepared for all kind of stuff weather at this weekend? Uh, well as much as I can be. <laughs> we'll hope for the best. <laughs> and what have you packed in the bag? Like what are your festival essentials? Oh, um 
definitely bin liners <laughs> for when things get wet um, and lots of water and yeah <laughs> and are the clothes a big thing? Mm, they're getting bigger <laughs> year on year they are uh, but like is yeah. it important what you wear at the festival? Um, I'd be, uh, yeah it is <laughs> yeah and for you as well would you be like conscious of what you're wearing? yeah definitely it was um, the last week was just shopping and going around everywhere finding the appropriate indie shirt so what was the appropriate indie shirt? Um, definitely there's this great one and it's just lemons it's all about colour and it's about kind of poppiness and and you're wearing that for the whole weekend? No, I have a wide range of shirts for every night, different occasions. What are your names? Uh, Ellie. Emily. Where are you from? Kerry. Kerry. Okay, now I see you're laden down here with bags and bags of stuff. What have you packed? What is your like festival essentials? Well, I brought food and clothes and drink, basically, in a pillow. <laughs> yeah, a tin, a, a blow-up mattress, toilet paper, you need it. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Yeah. And tell me about the clothes, because, I mean, like, is this a big part of the festival? No, not at all. The clothes take up the least amount of room in my bag. Like, everything else is just, I don't know, random stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and have you been to Independence before? No, it's our first year. Yeah. So who are you looking forward to, or what are you looking forward to most? Uh, Luke Calvi. Yeah, or G- G- Gavin James, probably, or someone. Yeah. Hannah wants. They're all fairly good, yeah. yeah. All the eggs. Have you been to a festival before? Like, do you know what to expect with the mud and not, the toilets? Not, not <laughs> camping. Not camping. Like, we went to Longitude and a few others, but not camping before, so... Just tell me a little bit about what you've packed in your bags for the weekend. Like, what are your festival essentials? A uh, drink, I suppose, and... Um, I have a tent as well, actually. The tent? Yeah, tent. Tent important. Chair, sleeping bag, um, towel... Festival clothes. Clothes, yeah. shorts, flowery tops... Would you be wearing flowery tops, yeah? Yeah, flowery, p- pink one. Have you been to Independence before? No, never been camping, no. No, I never camped. No, I never camped. So what are your expectations then if you've never been camping before? We don't have a clue. We don't know. <laughs> Just dirt, I'd say. We're so dirty, like, tomorrow morning. I'd say if it rains, it'd be very mucky. A bit of a mess, yeah. But are you prepared for that, just in case it does happen? Yeah. Pancho. Yeah. Pancho, yeah. And what are you looking forward to most, or who are you looking forward to most? Louis Capaldi. Louis Capaldi. Uh, she seems to be a big, a big one for this weekend. Good cry. So. Yeah. <laughs> it's great to hear the boys, isn't it? And they all into their style and their fashion, and they bringing their festival clothes with them. It's terrific. Enjoy each and every one heading off to Independence this weekend. And Councillor Declan Harley has just been back with a quick update on the text he sent about the Ballinine and Eskeen public toilets that we've been highlighting on the programme today. He says the council's plans are to demolish the public toilets in Ballinine and Eskeen and he's been fighting to have them reopened and to get them refurbished. 1850 Going to take a break. Back talking movies with Mark Malone. This is the Court Today replay on C103. And we're off to the movies with Mark Malone. Good afternoon to you, Mark. Hi, Patricia. You're very welcome. And you went to the movies to see Fast and uh, Furious Presents Hobbs and Shaw. And then the DVD is on the basis of sex. Let's take a trailer from Fast and Furious. Hobbs and Shaw, they wanted a war. They got one. So you guys are being hunted by an army of mercenaries Uh, led by a genetically enhanced soldier. I'm Black Superman. That's right. You're crazy. We're going to need cars. Buckle up. And guns. Oh, I can handle that part. Boom. The music's already started. Let's see if we can get in sync. I'm sorry. Samoa. 
Well, all right. Go in the Family. Never gives up. Welcome to my island. Ah, I see the wonderful Idris Elba. Yes. Fine specimen. It's interesting of the man. he says at one stage, I'm the black Superman. Um, yeah. The, actually, the original line apparently was, I'm the black James Bond. Yeah. But of course, there's been hints that he might play Bond at some stage. So he refused to do it. He said, No, I'm not doing that. So he changed it to the black, black Superman. Superman yeah. yeah. Yeah, I heard that. Or, or I, and, and he would make a fine James Bond. He would, wouldn't he? Wouldn't he? I think yeah. so. He'd be really good. Great. Okay, yeah. Fast and Furious presents Hobbs and Shaw. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. two hours, 15 minutes of that. I mean, if you've got a headache listening to that, imagine being in the cinema for two hours, 15 minutes and listening to that stuff. I mean, it wasn't easy, I can tell you. Yeah, I fell asleep at one stage. Now, I've been on breakfast all week, but uh, yeah. an hour in, I did nod off. And just before I nodded off, um, Jason Statham was smacking some guy across the head. And I, I woke up and he was still smacking another guy across the head. So obviously that fight scene had gone on for five minutes, which thankfully I missed. Uh, because after a while, the fight scenes do kind of blend into each other, you know. But, oh dear, yeah. See, the thing is, is that uh, with, with Fast and Furious, I mean, I didn't really like the first few movies, but I did like five. I remember Fast and Furious 5 was the one I did like. And that was the one we they introduced uh, Dwayne Johnson as Hobbs. And I the thought, Rock. Yeah, I thought that one was really, really good. Yeah. And it was huge. And he's successful. in this one as well, isn't he? He's playing the same part. Yeah. yeah, he's playing Hobbs. And, uh, and then what they decided to do was obviously to make them bigger and better they just got more stupider and uh, and that's what happened with the movies and they just began to all the action sequences just began to kind of blend into each other there's a scene where they outrun a missile they drive they, they drive alongside the missile as it's going along the road and you're just thinking how stupid do they think that we are yeah. and obviously they don't and, care. and they're not meant to have superpowers no, no but they are superhuman when they do these extraordinary ridiculous yeah. stunts where you just go oh come on Really? Come on, at least try and have some kind of basis in reality. But obviously they just don't care. Obviously the directors and the writers go, we don't care. We're just going to put it on screen. And people are dumb enough to think, yeah, this is really, really good. But there has to be. There has to, you, have, you have to have some kind of subtlety for, for films like this. And some level of realism must come exactly, into it. Exactly, yeah, as it just goes on and on and they have a fight scene. I'm not saying some of the action sequences aren't good. They are. And it's occasionally quite funny. I mean, they spend their whole time bickering against each other. I'm talking about Dwayne Johnson and Jason Statham. So and that's we, funny. At times it can be, you know, when, okay. when, because Dwayne Johnson is so big, there's lots of kind of references to his being really big and Jason Statham being really, really small. At, some, at one stage, Dwayne Johnson kind of referred to Jason Statham as, as Frodo, which I thought was actually kind of funny, although he also refers to him as Harry Potter, which he also did in the wrestling movie that he made uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, there's a couple of kind of guest uh, kind of starring roles from Kevin Hart and Ryan Reynolds, who's basically playing Deadpool, and that isn't too bad at all. Uh, it's directed by Davis Leach, who uh, directed uh, John Wick and, and Tommy Plant. He, um, he was a former stuntman, and in fact, I was trying to think, what there haven't been many stuntmen who have gone on to be kind of very successful directors, no. and the only other one I no. could think of was was Hal Needham, who directed all those kind of um, uh, Burt Reynolds films back in the seventies. Uh, so anyway, so Davis Leach, yeah, so he knows how to put an action sequence together. The problem is, is that it just doesn't stop, and it's sequence after sequence after sequence after sequence, and after a while, as I say, all of these you just uh, tire of it. They, they, you do tire of it, and I did tire of it, and you know, I know if you talk to me and ask me about this in a year's time, I will just get it mixed up with all the other fast 
Fast and Furious. And I would that's think, the problem. There's been too many of them. And I would think, and I would think, I, but I don't know which movie that's from because yeah. you know, and um, and there are some extraordinary sequences where you just think that is just absolutely ridiculous. It is not subtle in any way, shape, or form. I mean, it really isn't, and uh, and it's a, it's a terrible pity. And there's one really really good joke that I really liked where Jason Statham is passing by a Mini Cooper at one stage, and uh, he hints at the film The Italian Job, not the original, not the really good one with Michael Caine all those years ago, but the remake that he made. So I, that kind of in kind of uh, joke, I actually think is really really quite funny. Uh, but yeah, oh, now there are some great sequences where I was really excited. And I thought, yeah, yeah, this is really good. But it just keeps going on and on. Just and too on. much. And after a while, the yeah. bickering just kind of gets annoying. Okay, so mark it out of ten. Is subtle. Five. Five. <laughs> Five out of ten, that's Fast and Furious presents Hobbs and Shaw. Okay, let's see. You might have had more luck with your DVD. You took out a, you rented a DVD called On the Basis of Sex. Yes. This is, oh, this is the biography. Yeah, it's a true story. It's about uh, Ruth uh, Bader Ginsburg, and uh, who's an extraordinary, extraordinary woman. You know, I think she's uh, she's 86 now. And um, she is still in the uh, Supreme Court and still has the same rage and the same energy that she has had because she has spent... The, her whole life um, as an advocate for the advancement of gender equality and women's rights. And, well, she, and she has well. been doing this since the 70s and here she is and uh, so at the age of 86. So you she's still alive today and this is based on her life and today she's still fighting the cause. Yeah, I mean, oh, when, when the Me Too movement came out, there go she on, was. Ruth. I mean, she, as you can imagine, she's not a great admirer of the current president. And, you know, the, the oh, yeah, very, of course. Yeah, very much the liberal left in the United States are, are desperate for her to kind of keep on going. I know that Stephen Colbert, for example, uh, did a piece recently where it was about protecting Ruth Bader Ginsburg at all costs. Because as, you know, American politics becomes more conservative, at least, you know, you have this extraordinary woman and her liberal views. Uh, she a judge. Uh, she, she's not a judge, but she was a lawyer. A and lawyer, okay. Um, and she was a lawyer at the start of, I think it was 1956, she enrolled in Harvard. And there's a lovely kind of sequence where um, um, where the camera pans down to kind of waist level. And so in amongst all of these male trousers, there's this skirt and these are the shoes. <laughs> and there's her right in the middle of it. And then when she, she, she finishes top of her class, she then goes to try and get a job. And people are going, why would we want a woman when we have all these men to choose from? And at one stage, a man who was very, very much impressed with her says to her, yeah, there's a lot of jealous wives out there who won't like you working with oh. all of these men. So this is the kind of... And this is the 50s we're talking. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. This, and then moves into the 60s, of course, yeah. because um, there, the problem with, the, you know, uh, uh, the, the law at that time, it was that it was, it was a lot of it was kind of split down gender issues. And so what she decides to do then is to help out this gentleman, for example, who is looking after his mother. Now, he can't get a tax break from the American government because he's a man. And the reason is, is that he's not married and women are seen as carers. And so therefore, because he's it not a female. Yeah. So yeah, so so she knew she knew by doing that because she knew she was going to come up against three male judges. So she knew that they would be more kind of sensitive to a male story than a female story, which is why she took that case, even though she has spent her whole life fighting for women's rights. And because of course women you know, were not allowed 
and were not given benefits that they should do yeah. simply because they're women. They couldn't work because, the, because their husbands were expected to work and they weren't. And so this is something that she has fought against for her whole life. Uh, Felicity Jones, the wonderful Felicity Jones, She's who's fantastic. a fabulous actress. Yeah. Uh, she plays uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Army Hammer plays her husband, Martin. Sam Watterson, which is interesting. Sam Watterson, if uh, you're a fan of Law & Order, will know that he's kind of the good guy lawyer in that television series. Yeah. It's interesting that uh, he's the bad guy lawyer. Is he? In this. Oh. Yeah. And I, I'm not sure. I presume that was deliberate. I, I don't yeah. know. But yeah. uh, I thought it was odd that he would take the role, but obviously he took it for maybe really uh, that, that reason. Look, uh, Hobbs and Shaw is two hours, 15 minutes long. This is two hours. And at no stage was I bored by this yeah. in any way, shape or form. I thought it was fascinating. You were gripped. I was gripped completely and I got quite emotional near the end as well. And she's does a woman. She, does she appear at the end? Uh, do you know what I'm going to tell you? Yeah. She does. She and does, there's a yeah. lovely little sequence where she does. Yeah. And um, I was gripped by it in very much. I just thought it was absolutely fabulous. Yes, it's formulaic. Yes. It, and you know, and it, it, it sets out to achieve exactly what it's going to do. And it fires in no unsubtle way at you about this extraordinary woman and, and her history and her current, even her current fight uh, for, for uh, equal rights. And she's what an extraordinary woman. woman. And, it, and, 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 uh, and we have so much to be thankful. I mean, you know, women oh. today have so much to be thankful. And if it wasn't for to, really, to, really to brave women like this. Yeah. 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 Uh, you know, I mean, there's still a lot of work to do. But, yeah. But, but God, we've come a long way than, yeah. than what, what she was expected to put up with. Exactly, um, yeah. uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And it's On the Basis of Sex is the name of the book. OK, mark that out of 10. I'm giving it 10. Oh, 10 out of 10. Well done. Do you won't find it. that at the movies that's um, streaming or you can rent it out on DVD. Thank you for that, Mark. Okay. Have a lovely week and we'll chat to Mark again uh, next week. A texter, um, it was suggested that farmers retrain. A listener says, what employment is available in rural Ireland for older farmers? Really? It's all geared towards uh, Dublin. Someone else said, what a stupid, stupid suggestion. Where do you expect us to get work? And Eddie and Ovens said on all the repeats on uh, telly, Reeling in the Years is probably one of the best. And each year, farmers are marching about something. And they're still in trouble today. I'm with them all the way, by the way, says Eddie in uh, Oven. So that programme certainly shows you that the farmers' problems are not going away. Now, Nick Richards is up next. He will be turning up the feel-good factor with these tunes. That's Nick from One Today and Martina from Four with Feel Good Friday and it feels even better because it's a bank holiday weekend. That's where I leave you for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Won't be with you Monday because it is the bank holiday even though John Paul will be sitting in for me back with you on Tuesday morning and you'll have a chance to play Simon Celebrity Sees on this programme. Talk to you Tuesday. Martina O'Donoghue. Make C103 part of your drive home with up-to-date traffic information and local news your input in selecting our feel-good song of the day, plus our feel-good story and as many of Cork's greatest hits that we can fit into three hours. Join me, Martina O'Donoghue, every weekday from 4 to 7. C103. Confidence starts with loving who you are. 
And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW.